Well, welcome everybody to Wednesday night Bible study. And it's so hard to believe that uh, we are actually here at the end of the book of Hebrews. That's just, I, I have to pinch myself. I really enjoyed this study. And, uh, and now we've come to the end of the study. So I think tonight will be a bit of a shorter study, but that's good. We'll finish with uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And then I have a summary of the whole book of Hebrews. So we'll just do a review of what we've studied together. And then Pastor Murray is going to join me after the summary for us to do a Q&A. So we'll do a live Q&A if you're on Facebook, if you are on the chat, and also if you are on YouTube. Uh, I'll have to remember to check YouTube as well. We'll read your comments, read your questions, and uh, just respond to you in real time. And actually, we do have one question from last week that uh, Pastor Murray has been researching and will be ready to comment on that. So as we're going through the uh, final chapter here, Think if you have any questions, and as we go through the summary, if you have any questions, get ready to uh, post those in the chat or in the Facebook feed or in the YouTube comments. Uh, here we are, the end of the book of Hebrews. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into Hebrews chapter 13. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you and praise your holy name. Uh, we just thank you so much, Father, for the privilege, the high privilege, the honor that we have as your servants to open your word, study your scriptures, learn more about our high priest, Jesus Christ, and, and be encouraged by the examples of those who have gone before us, but also to take warning from the bad examples of those real human beings who failed, who have gone before us. We thank you, Father. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Let's go to the text. And we'll go to uh, Hebrews, uh, as I like to do. Uh, you know that I like to just always have a little bit of context. So we'll just go back a little bit. Uh, I want us, first of all, to remember that this whole part of the book that we're studying has to do with uh, Paul's instruction for us to consider one another. So we're to consider the apostle. We're then, so the, who, who is it that's speaking to us? Then we're to consider the high priest. Who is it that loves us and has sacrificed himself for us and wants us to succeed? And then let's consider one another that none of us fail and that we're here uh, exhorting one another. We're not forsaking the assembly because we have such a love for each other and such a desire to see all of us succeed that we're going to uh, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So this context that we're going to study chapter 13 in is in the context of considering one another so that we can provoke one another unto agape and good works. So it's about love, but not just love. It's not just, this is not uh, just theoretical. It's, it's action. We have to be people who do good works. We need to be full of good works, building up our reward and our treasure for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then um, last week when we were in chapter 12, uh, we were exhorted to follow peace with all, not with all general men in general, but with all in the fellowship. Let's have peace with everybody. Let's make sure that we are not in a situation where we're in conflict with the body, that the body is fighting against itself, like it's almost some uh, autoimmune deficiency where the body is attacking itself. We shouldn't be doing that. We need to make sure we're in a condition of peace with everybody in the body, but also let's make sure we also have holiness that we should be people who fear God and we should not be involved in the filth of this world. And we have to be careful. Sometimes it comes upon us surprisingly. And so we just have to be ready to turn it away and turn away from it. Because if we don't have peace, 
if we have schism in the body, if we're in conflict with the body, and if we don't have holiness, forget it. Let's not fool ourselves. We are not going to be accepted by the Lord. So without peace and holiness, no man will see the Lord. And then in verse 15, he says, we must look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. So we're considering one another. We're not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, not because we're so self-centered and we're just, you know, I hope I'm saved. I hope I make it. I, no, because we love the body and we are very concerned about the health of the body and the, the successful outcome of everybody in the body. So we're looking diligently. We, we, our eyes are open. We, we, for the congregation that we fellowship in, if we see somebody's maybe discouraged, somebody's maybe dropping away, somebody's perhaps being immoral, uh, somebody is uh, perhaps being offensive, uh, we, the, the, the perspective we have, we're not present tense, we're present tense only, we're future tense. We're looking at that brother, we're looking at that sister, and we're saying, uh-oh, this is, this is not good. And we're going to provoke that brother or sister. And the, the word provoke means, uh, or can mean, really strong conflict. But it's conflict in love with, an, with the outcome, the end, the end view of being acceptable to Jesus Christ. So we're looking diligently in case any one of us should fall short of the grace of God. But also, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble us. It's so easy for people to get bitter. And we need to be looking diligently and, and making sure that that does not take root in us or in anybody in our congregation. Because when bitterness gets inside one of us, the whole congregation can become defiled. Where we're whispering behind people's backs and we're stirring up animosity. And that's where the devil, is, that's the devil's playground. That's where the devil can get in and do his best work. So we need to make sure that we don't have any bitterness. We have peace with all brethren. And we are looking diligently to ensure that all of our brethren have this peace with all of the body. But also, we need to look diligently in case there be any fornicator, any sexually immoral person in our midst, and any profane person such as Esau. And what did Esau do? For one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. And, and this is the human condition, where again, we, we lose our future focus we get all present tense and preoccupied with the present, and we're willing to trade this future glory for some nonsensical present stimulation. In, in Esau's case, it was a morsel of meat. Uh, for many of us, it might be some sexual pleasure. Uh, it might be financial uh, reward, and we just, we're willing to make the trade. And somehow we've lost sight of what it is we're called to. So we are the, of the Philippians 2 mindset, where we are really, we have the mind of Christ, which doesn't think about ourselves, it thinks of the other. And it esteems the other better than ourselves. And we really are coming into our particular congregation, wherever it is we fellowship, and ensuring that we have that oversight and that, that concern for one another. And not to allow any of us to give up what we've been called to. Therefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. This, this kingdom, is uh, Daniel shows us, that once it's established, it's established forever. Unlike all these other kingdoms that are replaced, this one is coming to replace all the kingdoms and it's going to last forever. So let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. So we can serve God and we can deceive ourselves and think we're doing something, but we're in conflict with the body, we're engaged in immorality, we have bitterness, 
we're short-term short thinking, we don't really see the future, and we're serving God, and God rejects us. So we have to serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. It's good to serve God with fear. And then I think in this modern age, one of the biggest risks we face is we simply don't fear God. We think we can talk, we think we have God in our back pocket. And we can just treat God like he's something common. And he's just not real to us. So we need to treat him with reverence and with godly fear. And, and let's not be complacent and take God for granted. And let's look out for each other that none of us are doing this. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. And that's something that we need to just see that God will destroy. This We're, we're not involved in something that is make-belief. We're not involved in something that's fictional. We're not involved with a God who can be taken for granted. He's real, he has very high standards, and for us, we either succeed or we fail. There, there's nothing in between for us. So we're either, we're either in this, in it to win it, or we're, we're just fooling around and we're just playing. And, and we can, that's what this whole letter to the Hebrews is about. Don't play. This isn't, this isn't a game. Take this very seriously. So our God is a consuming fire. So that's the context now that we come into chapter 13. And what we're going to find now in chapter 13 is just a lot of sort of rapid fire instructions. It's like uh, Paul is running out of time. He's coming to closing up this uh, sermonic letter. And um, he's just, in the context of considering one another, he's just got a bunch of instructions for us. And so we're going to come through here some rapid fire instructions that tell us how to consider one, one another, and also tell us how to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, how to have peace with all, and how to have holiness. So we have to take this last chapter, even though it's kind of written in a very uh, staccato and almost rapid-fire tone, we need to take each instruction in the sense of its, its life-giving instruction. This is, what we, this is how we need to live. So the first one says, Let brotherly love continue. And so this, let brotherly love continue, it is really, the way to think of it, is as a command. This, this word continue is in the imperative. So this is, this is an instruction, this is a command. You must do this. So perhaps rather than let brotherly love continue, uh, a better, more modern translation might be, you better let brotherly love continue. Make sure brotherly love continues. I think when we say let brotherly love continues, it sounds kind of passive, where the instruction is not passive at all. You better let brotherly love continue. Don't let bitterness creep in. Don't, don't be at odds with each other. Be at peace with all. And you better make sure in, your, in our congregations that brotherly love continues. Now, again, without which no man will see the Lord. Now, this is an example. I said last week, I believe, when we were in Revelation um, 22, I said that when he says, blessed are they that do his commandments, this doesn't just refer to the Ten Commandments. So I'm doing the Ten Commandments, I'm good. It refers to all of his commandments. And that example that we just looked at of you better make sure that brotherly love continues, that's an example of a commandment. So we have to be going through the scriptures, and whenever we see imperatives, imperative means you better do this, that is a command from the Lord. And we, we need to be doing all of these. This is how we um, govern our lives. We look at the imperatives, we look at the instructions, we look at the commands, and we do this. And this is how we can have 
confidence. So uh, that's what we need to be sensitive to when it says in Revelation, blessed are they that do his commandments. Don't just think the Ten Commandments. He goes on then in Hebrews, do not be forgetful to entertain strangers. So he wants us to be very hospitable. Don't be uh, ne negligent in entertaining strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. And some of the translations will uh, translate angels as messengers. That, you know, by, by doing this, some have actually entertained messengers. Um, so that's one way. So human messengers, people who are coming with a message. But I think the sense here, I, I take this as uh, angels, that uh, the same way that Abraham uh, had angels, the Lord and two angels came to him and he entertained them, uh, these angels may appear as human beings. And who knows in the end time if there is more angelic uh, activity uh, amongst us. And so we just need to have this ability that when strangers come through, somebody's visiting, we just have this um, hospitable nature as a congregation that we look after. And especially in the first century, uh, when people passed through, they were very dependent upon the congregations to finance them, to look after their, um, their, their accommodation needs, as well as their travel needs, uh, when they're heading to the next congregation to give them food for the journey. And, and so that was the way it was in the first century. But still, this is an instruction for us now that we need to have this hospitable nature. And we should be, especially those of us who are pastors, developing this culture of hospitality. It's very hard. People put themselves out and maybe people come over and maybe they're not the most gracious guests and people might feel, oh, that was so hard and people didn't even appreciate it. Um, and, and so we, we just need to get over all of this. We need to learn how to be good guests, but also we need to be very active hosts and very happy to uh, accommodate and uh, be hospitable. So it says, don't, don't forget to um, be hospitable to strangers. He says now, remember them that are in bonds. So again, there was a lot of persecution on the church at this time. There will be a lot of persecution on the church in the end time. And he says to remember them. Don't, don't, even though they're taken away, uh, don't forget them. Make sure you're visiting them. Make sure you're writing to them. Make sure you're looking out in any way you can. You're praying for them, fasting for them, looking after their needs. And I've got to say, I am so encouraged by, uh, you know, not encouraged by what, it's very discouraging what has happened to Tommy Robinson and the way they uh, mischaracterize him and slander him and call him a thug and a, a right-wing extremist and a racist. He's none of those things. Um, and, and for us, he's the canary in the coal mine. He really represents... Or, or we should see how the state treats him is how the state feels about Christians. And this is our future. And so we must remember those that are in bonds. And I really thought, and I, I'm, I'm glad I was wrong, I thought when they took him away that he would just be forgotten. He would basically die in jail. But the outcry in Britain and around the world was very encouraging. And you know what? If they can do it, we can do it. So, so we're not to forget those who are in bonds. And uh, Hebrews is for the end time. We're, we're, we're studying this in the context of everything that we studied in Revelation. And we understand the nature of the governments that are going to control us in the future. And they are hostile to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be accused of all kinds. Jesus Christ tells us this. We're going to be accused of all kinds. And we need to be prepared to suffer for our belief in Christ and our uh, unwillingness to compromise. So, so the instruction to the rest of us who are not in bonds 
is to remember those who are in bonds, as if we were bound with them. And them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. So don't think that because it hasn't happened to you, you don't need to worry about it. That if it happens to one, it happens to all. And if one part of the body suffer, the whole body suffers. Then he says this, marriage, he, he focuses on marriage. He says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. So it's very important that we treat our marriages with the highest regard, treat each other's marriages with the highest regard. In, in a world that is marrying and giving itself in marriage and is going to keep on marrying right up until Christ returns, but it has no concept of the holy meaning of marriage. We must really understand it, what it pictures, what it symbolizes, why God created it as an institution for us. It's, it's, it's completely honorable. And the bed, undefiled. In other words, the sexual relations of a husband and wife are undefiled. The marriage bed is pure. That communion that a husband and wife have together is holy and pure and highly symbolic. However, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And we live in a society that is full of whoremongers and adulterers. So a whoremonger is someone who chases prostitutes or, or someone who's engaged in, porno, engaged in pornography, engaged in illicit sexual activity. And adulterers, someone who's married but is engaging in activity with somebody else outside of the marriage bed. You know what? Let's not fool ourselves. This is unholy behavior. And God will have none of it. None of it. And you know what? You, you, there was a study done of uh, Christian evangelicals. They are plagued with adultery. Divorce, adultery, fornication, all kinds of illicit sexual activity. We in the Church of God, do we think we're completely pure of this? That none of this touches us? We come out of this society. And even uh, the, the Christian world is, is highly impacted by this. It's in everything we watch. We're being programmed by the so-called entertainment to think that this kind of behavior is acceptable. It must not be named once among the saints. So I've just got to tell you, if you're involved in any of this, break out of it. Uh, pray, to, pray to the high priest, Jesus Christ, who, who will help us. And Jesus Christ is returning, and he's a consuming fire. And he's returning full of wrath. And we cannot face him. We cannot be included in his body if we're involved in this kind of illicit behavior. And we need to be looking out for one another. If this kind of behavior creeps into our congregation, don't sit back and tolerate it. Speak up. Speak to the brother. Speak to the sister. Speak to the pastor. And say, this, this, we can't have this in the congregation. Jesus Christ is coming, and, and he condemns the congregations in, in Revelation 2 and 3 who tolerate whoremongers who tolerate adulterers, and they don't stand up and, 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 and keep the congregation pure and holy. The marriage bed is undefiled. Every other bed is defiled. And these false pagan religions that are creeping into our society and, and tearing down uh, Christianity and introducing polygamy and even pedophilia, this, it all begins when the marriage union breaks down. So we must, we must be the example. Our marriages must be, people must look at our marriages and say, wow, you know, that couple looks really happy. 
You can tell that they love each other. I wish I had that. This is the standard that we should have. He goes on then to say, let your conduct be without covetousness. So the marriage bed is undefiled and marriage is honorable. Don't be looking at another's man, another man's wife or another woman's husband and thinking, oh, I wish I had that person. Don't be covetous. Let, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. So we, this is the Christian way. Everybody likes nice things. But we're not about this life. We're, we're like Abraham. We're pilgrims. And whatever God gives us, we're content. We are, we are very grateful. Every, every day we're giving thanks. We're showing gratitude. The cup is always half full. And we're content with what he has. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we must not leave or forsake him. If we conduct ourselves in such a way that we're turning away from him, that's our fault. But as long as we're obeying him, he says he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we just need to learn to be content so that we can have this confidence. God is with me. I, I'm doing my best to obey him. If our conscience condemns us and we know we're not living to the standard, then we're not going to have this confidence. I know God. I know my God is with me. Again, the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that confidence. I, we're not careful to answer you in this matter, King, because we know our God is with us. We're, we, we're in communion with him. We're in a relationship with him. If we are leading double lives, we're not going to have this confidence. So let's eschew, eschew uh, covetousness, avoid it altogether, eschew it, and uh, then we can have this confidence that our God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And this is coming from Deuteronomy, where it says, 431, For your, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore unto them. This is why he will never leave or forsake us, because he has sworn this covenant relationship. And so as long as we stay in the relationship, he, he cannot lie. It's impossible. So he is bound by the covenant. And so he will never leave us nor forsake us. The just shall live by faith. And we believe in his word which is in the covenant. So that when we have this way of life, we're not covetous, we are moral, we are leading pure lives, then we know that he's bound by covenant, he'll never leave or forsake us, so that we may boldly say, now we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. So no matter what we face, we can just face it head on with this quiet confidence and this boldness that the God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is our helper. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, we know he's watching over us. And we have this confidence, we have this boldness. Again, if we're leading double lives, we're not going to have, we're going to be second guessing, we're going to be worried, uh, we're just not going to have the confidence to go forward because we know we've not lived up to the standard. Uh, this could be death. We know that if I die now, mm, I know I'm not living right. So I, I don't want to die now. And so now we've lost our confidence. Whereas if we are leading the standard, living life at the right standard, and doing all we can, and, and when we fall short, we're going to the high priest, and we just have this boldness. And so now the king comes, and he wants to throw us in the furnace, Hey, you know what? I don't even have to think. If, if you were asking me another question, King, I'd ask you, you know, can you give me some time to think about it? I want to weigh the pros and cons of your proposal. But for this, to ask me to defy God, 
I don't have to answer. I don't have to think about it. I'm not careful to answer you. The answer is no. And we have this confidence because of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. This is where the confidence comes from. So Paul is saying, do these things. Live the righteous life. And the outcome or the, the fruit or the byproduct of leading the righteous life is this kind of confidence. This confidence in the face of evil. That's why Jesus Christ, when he had this contradiction of sinners, that it was incredible, the intense contradiction, that he just had confidence. Because he always did those things that please the Father. The Lord is my helper. So I don't know who you have on your side, we say to the king. But I know the Lord, we know that the Lord is our helper. And so we will not fear what a man can do. The just shall live by faith. Jesus Christ says the worst they can do is kill the body. And after they've killed your body, there's nothing more that they can do. So, so don't fear them. Because he has risen from the dead and he will raise us from the dead. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And we're actually, he's actually quoting here from the psalm from King David in Psalm 56.4 where David says, In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And I think if there's one message in the book of Hebrews, it's this. That if we understand God and we have the right relationship with God, we don't have a spirit of fear. We truly have this spirit, that the sound mind, a spirit of love. We have this boldness and this confidence, and we don't fear what flesh. And, and we're living in a time of terror. We're living in a time of fearfulness. So the whole world is going to be full of fear. Your hashtag, we are not afraid. Hashtag, we stand together. It's all nonsense. It's all superficial nonsense. They are terrified and they don't, they'll turn on each other like that. What we have is the word of God, and we will not fear what flesh can do to us, because we're pilgrims, and we have eternal life. And it doesn't matter who the man is, it doesn't matter who the woman is, they cannot hang on to this life. They can take other people's lives, but then their lives will be taken. And there's nothing they can do to keep their life. But we have eternal life, and so we're not afraid of what men can do to and we have to just encourage each other and really build this kind of Christian muscle and confidence. Then he says this, and this is very interesting, in this single chapter where he's wrapping up and he's saying, consider one another, live well together, be at peace together, three times in the one chapter he speaks of them which have the rule over you. And this is fascinating. Because we live in a time where nobody wants anybody to rule over them. Over me? I'm my own person. And we've just cast off any kind of authority over us. And yet three times, this is the first time, three times Paul is saying, remember them that have the rule over you. Obey them which have the rule over you. And so there's something here that is very much on Paul's mind, a part of holy living. It's a part of holiness. And so he says here, in, in these instructions as he's signing off, remember them which have, this is, you know, in, I would call this um, the rules of success. So as he's signing off, he's giving the Hebrews rules of success. Here's how you're going to be successful. And one of the things you can do to be successful is to remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. And I think this is how we have to view the rule over us. It's not that, oh, um, 
because your name is Stalin, I have to do whatever you say. Oh, because your name is Hitler, I have to do, because your name is Mao Zedong, I have to do whatever you say. No, it's the ones who speak unto us the word of God. It's actually the word of God that has the rule over us. And, and these people are chosen to facilitate the communication of the word of God. And he's saying to remember them, like we can't just go off on our own and say, I'm good, I've got the word of God, I can read it myself. That there's something God is doing where for us to be successful, we are going to be fed by these shepherds. And, and that's, what, that's the view, I believe, that Paul is asking us to have, that God is going to set shepherds over us. And he wants us to understand that these shepherds are going to guide us with the word of God. Why? He says, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conduct. So these have to be people who are living by the word of God, teaching the word of God, and it's all about faith. It's all, this, this book is all about faith. And so we have dead examples of faith, but God is also going to give us living examples of faith. And, and we need to follow these examples. God, God will not leave us alone. He's going to give us shepherds. And then this, we, we know this actually from the prophecy, and we've read this before. In Matthew 24, he asks the question, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? There's going to be a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household. So this is very much in the plan of God. It's very much in the design of God. It's very much in God's intention that he's not going to leave the sheep without a shepherd. And he's going to choose shepherds and he's going to put them over the household. Why? So they can get their jollies and having authority? No, he's going to put them over the household for a reason. To give them meat in due season. That there are seasons. And the, whole, the way God has designed the church He's going to put shepherds in place and then he's going to feed those shepherds through his Holy Spirit with the appropriate meat for the season. So as the world changes and we move into new seasons, we will never be without guidance. There will always be shepherds who are going to say, this is what we need to be focusing on now. And then the world is going to change. Okay, now this is what we need to be focusing on. And we don't know what these things are. It's not like we're going to say, okay, um, in 2019, we're going to focus on X, Y, and Z. But in 2020, we'll focus on ABC. We don't know. But God knows. And so as 2019 unfolds, he's going to unfold to his shepherds what it is we're to focus on to lead his sheep. And so Paul, three times in the one chapter as he's wrapping up, it's about those who are put in this role. And we cannot deny it. In fact, we see in Jeremiah 23, God's heart ultimately, not just now, but ultimately, is to ensure that Israel, the Hebrews, have shepherds. He says, I will set up shepherds over them. Well, I don't want anybody over me. Well, this is, this is what God says. God says, I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them always. The oversight is associated with feeding. If you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my lambs. The oversight is always associated with spiritual nourishment. Strengthen the flock. I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them. 
and they shall fear no more because they're getting the meat in due season and they're gaining the spiritual confidence and spiritual boldness and spiritual courage. I will set shepherds over them and shall feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Now look at what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel says that the sheep were scattered. His people were scattered. Why? Because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. So we either have shepherds that give us meat in due season and keep us together and keep us united and keep us courageous, or the shepherds are taken away or we throw the shepherds away and then we become meat to the beasts of the field. So it's one way or the other. And so Paul understands all of this and he's saying, number one, remember those who have the rule over you, look at their example, follow their example, they're there to feed you. He goes on now in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just want to take a moment and talk about this. Uh, I think it relates to Malachi 3, so Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Malachi 3, verse 6, he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. So what does this mean? Does this mean that Jesus Christ can't grow? That Jesus Christ can't learn? That Jesus Christ can't be different tomorrow? This is not what this means. And this is more of, again, Greek philosophy creeping into the church and giving us these philosophical concepts of, of, of God that, that are not in the Hebrew context. What this means is that when God makes a covenant, he never goes back on it. It is impossible for him to lie. So this is why he's saying, I am the Lord. I'm not, going to re I'm not going to change my mind about selecting Israel and working my plan of salvation through Israel. Even though Israel is very evil, Israel is very wicked, Israel deserves to be destroyed, God finds another way to work with Israel and to bring the whole world to Israel that this nation of Israel shall be the king priests. It's because of this covenant commitment that God has that he never changes his covenant. That once he says, this is what we made this covenant with Abraham, he's not going to change. It's, un it's an unconditional covenant. He's not going to go back on it. So this is the confidence. The confidence is in the word of God, the covenant of God. This is what it means that he does not change. Otherwise, the sons of Jacob absolutely, it's like the first, if, the, if God has a to-do list, Number one on the to-do list, destroy Jacob. Destroy Jacob. That's the, that's the, cov that's the Mosaic Covenant. They, they have broken everything in the Mosaic Covenant. Destroy them. Oh, but wait. There's a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant is unconditional. And God will not go back on that covenant. And that's why Jacob is not destroyed. And that's why the Hebrews need to have confidence in this high priest. Be not carried about with different and strange doctrines. For it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. They're, those bodies are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. 
So, so God was willing to bear this shame in order to redeem Israel. Let's go to him. He's our high priest. For here have we no continuing city. So there's shame on Christ when he came to earth. There's shame on his people. We, we, all kinds is going to be said about us. And, and when this happens, I hope that you won't believe it. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this situation with Tommy Robinson and others. And uh, just seeing the, how their character is just completely assassinated. Tommy Robinson in particular, I've been following him for about three years. I would say this is a very noble man. A very, very noble man. Somebody who has grown. Somebody who's learned. Uh, somebody who has really educated himself. And who has Christian courage and Christian ethics. And to see how he's written about and how he's uh, portrayed. If I didn't know him, or I don't really know him, but if I didn't know of him and wasn't studying him for three years, um, I just believe all this, that he's some kind of far-right thug, racist, uh, and they can really paint a picture. Wait until you see what they do to us. Wait until you see what they do to us. And we will have no ability to say, that's not true. And then we'll be sent to whatever appropriate punishment is, is, is uh, reserved for people who satisfy their conditions of being unacceptable. Uh, so we have no, this is not the life for us. We don't have a continuing city here. Abraham was here, and he didn't have a continuing, even though it was all promised to him. He was right, he was walking on the land that was promised to him. It wasn't a continuing city for him. For here we have no continuing city, but like Abraham, we seek one to come. And that's an eternal city, and our place in that city is permanent. And so that's where our head is. And we don't really care what men do today. Uh, we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Like, wow, we are really, really, truly heading to eternal life. This is real. And God has selected us. I, I can't explain why. I just know that this is what he's doing. And uh, let's just, through Christ, offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, don't forget. And this word communicate means koinonia. Uh, it means fellowship. So again, don't forsake the assembly. Uh, to do good and to fellowship and learn to love one another. Don't forget to do that. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And sometimes fellowship is a sacrifice. Maybe there's something else you want to do, but you choose to be with the brethren. Or maybe being with the brethren might be difficult for you. There may be something going on. But God is well pleased when we, when we prioritize kononia, fellowship. Now again, the second time, obey them that have the rule over you. And he keeps using this phrase, they have the rule over you. And again, it's not this authoritarian dictatorship. It is that we have the word of God and we're bringing the word of God to you so that you can order your life accordingly. Obey them and, and nobody can tell you what to do unless you can search the scriptures and say, oh wow, that, that really is what the scripture says. It's not because of somebody, a minister says, I need you to go and do this. That you just do it. Just, oh yeah, jump, how high? No, jump. Okay, which scripture are you asking me? To, what, where, where does it say I should jump? And then, okay, it makes sense. I'll do that. So obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. That is the purpose of the spiritual shepherds, to watch for your souls, the outcome of your souls, as they that must give, a, give account. So God is good. Jesus Christ is going to call the shepherds and say, what happened to these souls? I, I entrusted them to you. Uh, what did you do? 
so we must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is not pro that is unprofitable for you. So if, in other words, if you make your minister's life or, or your minister's life uh, very difficult, you're bringing confusion upon your own head. I'm bringing confusion upon my own head. This is a body that should be working together in a mutually beneficial way. So I should be seeking to make my minister's life easy. And, and, and then he's now watching over my soul to make sure that I'm ordering my life according to the Word of God, and this just works beautifully. So he's saying, again, these are the rules for success in the face of persecution, that this is what Paul is giving them. So remember, obey those. And so here he says to the Corinthians, let a man so account as us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This is how they should see the ministry. We're, we're servants of Christ and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Then he says, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So these shepherds that God chooses, we have to be faithful. We have to live by the We're not just speaking the word. We're living the word. And that's what gives us the authority to speak it. Again, and, then, and here in Timothy it says, and this is interesting. Against an elder receive not an accusation. And it is amazing to me to see how quickly brethren fling around accusations against the elders. Even in social media, the accusations that I was just so the other day, I was reading somebody's social media and just tearing down the elders in general. I don't think he was being specific. But it's like, wow, what, how, what, is this helpful? You're broadcasting on social media your, your dissatisfaction with the elders? Uh, you should not be, you have to be careful about these accusations. This is the devil's work. So we, Paul is saying, don't receive this. This is very destructive. This is what the, 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 the devil would love to do, is to completely discredit the elders. And all this stuff that we're seeing with the, the uh, Catholic priests and all of their pedophilia disease, the devil loves this because it just completely discredits Christianity. Well, we're, they're not Christians. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So we, we need, it's not that we must never receive accusations against elders. It's that there must be two or three. The same way we don't put somebody to death anciently, they didn't put someone to death, unless there were two or three witnesses. And then the person could be put to death and the witnesses would throw the stones first. Uh, in the same way, this is serious. So if an elder is doing something, we will receive an accusation against them if it's backed up with two or three witnesses. So God doesn't just subject us to people and then let them do whatever they want. He says be subject to them, but then there's, there's these um, counterbalances to make sure that they don't overstep their, their work. Now, listen to what, it's, what's it, what else he says. Them that sin, that is those elders that sin, rebuke publicly. Rebuke before all. Make sure everybody sees that they are punished. That others also may fear. So elders don't have this license to just, just do whatever they want. If they are sinning, and it can be backed up with two or three witnesses, they're to be publicly reprimanded so that other elders realize, whoa, this is serious. We can't afford to allow ourselves to fall into that. This is, again, so this is how important the shepherd role is in the body for us to be successful in what lies in the race that's, that's set before us. Then he says, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience. 
So clearly a shepherd that is doing all he can to live righteously. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience, in all things willing to live honestly. And for me, so here, sorry, just quoting Ephesians now, where he says to pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me. So this is his role as an evangelist. He's saying, please pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. It's hard. It's hard to look the devil in the eye, to look the devil's puppets in the eye and speak boldly. But he's saying, pray for me that I can do this and pray for our eldership that we can do this, that we can open our mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We must make it known. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. So Paul was imprisoned for this. He, he did not do anything wrong. He just spoke the, the gospel and that caused him to be imprisoned. That therein, even though he's in prison, he may speak boldly as he ought to speak. Back to Hebrews. But I beg you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So remember, this is the strength of Christianity. None, no one else has this. That this man who came to earth and died rose in glory. And so the God who did this, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. So this is again why obey those that have the rule over you. Remember them that have the rule over you. Why? Because Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And he's using these, he needs this function on earth called eldership so that he can exercise his role as the great shepherd. That, that by leading the elders with the Holy Spirit, he's actually leading the sheep. That the shepherds are just at his beck and call. So he's that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Paul sees so clearly this is all about the covenant. It's all about the Hebraic covenant. And that's how the Hebrews have to conduct themselves, govern their lives in the understanding of this covenant and how God is bound by it. It's an everlasting covenant. May he make you perfect. And this word perfect is not uh, tilios or telios. It is katartizo. So it's a different word, and uh, this just really means to be strong, to be restored, uh, to be uh, mended, to be, to be healed. May he make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Don't, don't fear, don't turn back. Do the good works, do his will. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, as opposed to that which he abhors, which the fathers did. Instead, let's do what's well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beg you, so he's really, this is really pleading, and he's also begging now, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. So he's asking them now, please, accept this word of exhortation. And, and it's a harsh letter. When we, if we sit back and just read this letter, it is quite harsh. This is not... Oh, I'm so glad to see you. You guys are wonderful. Everything you're doing is great. This is some pretty tough language. And now he's begging them, please, accept this word of exhortation. Don't roll your eyes. Don't start backbiting. Just really take it in the sense of the love that he speaks with. So I'm begging you, brethren, allow this word of exhortation. For I have, a, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. 
So there's so much to say, and I'm trying to be as concise as possible, and I might not make everything smooth. I might just hit you between the eyes sometimes, but allow that. I, I'm speaking from a position of love. I really want you to be successful eternally. So, so allow this. And the fact that I might have bruised you or hurt your feelings a little bit, please accept it. Know you that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute them that have the rule over you. Three times as he's wrapping up, like, I just got to give you the most important things, how to conduct your life. Three times. Remember those who have the rule over you. Obey those who have the rule over you. Salute all them that have the rule over you. And all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. And that is the letter of Hebrews. What a wonderful, wonderful letter. And I just thank those of you. We were not sure. Do we do Isaiah? Do we do Hebrews? At first it looked like we were going to do Isaiah. And then all of a sudden there was this push for Hebrews. And then I'm really, really glad though that uh, God inspired us to go with Hebrews, especially coming out of Revelation. These two books really go hand in hand when we see Hebrews, not just as a historical text, but as guidance for the future. Now, what I want to do uh, very quickly before uh, Pastor Murray joins us is just uh, quickly do a uh, review of the book of Hebrews. Uh, just what is it that we have studied together in this book? And I just put together this little um, poster or, or infographic of what the book of Hebrews is all about. And if you'd like a copy of this, I'm happy to send it. Just email me at adrian.davis at cgicanada.org. adrian.davis at cgicanada.org, and I can send you this. So Hebrews, the key lesson here is therefore, because, because of who is speaking to us and who is speaking to our fathers, he says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. That really is what the book of Hebrews is all about. The first emphasis, there's sort of three major themes here. The first emphasis is to consider the apostle. So this is the messenger. Who, who is it that is bringing the message? So God spoke to our fathers through the prophets and angels. They disobeyed these prophets and angels and they were punished. Today, God speaks to us through his son his son is superior to all the angels and all the prophets. Therefore, we must not harden our hearts, or we will not enter into his rest. We must labor and give the more earnest heed to this messenger. That's the first theme in the book of Hebrews. The second theme then, once we understand who it is that's speaking to us, the second theme is to understand and consider our high priest. He was made like us. So he was, a, in all points, he was human like us. And he felt the weakness of fear. He had to face the devil's puppets just as we have to. And he felt the fear of that. He felt the, 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 the weakness of that. And he was made just like us as humans. But then he was made a high priest that is superior to the Aaronic high priests. And he was made a superior high priest by a superior method. They were made high priest by a law that could be changed and, and was changed with the new covenant. But he has been made a high priest 
by a superior method, that is the oath of God, which God says he will never go back on. So he's inducted into this office of high priest of the order of Melchizedek by a superior method. And it's a superior order. It's an eternal order. It's the order of Melchizedek with a superior offering. It's not just the blood of goats and, and, and uh, bulls. This is his own blood. And he's serving in a superior tabernacle, mediating a superior covenant. So we have to consider this is our high priest. Therefore, because we understand our high priest, we should come boldly to the Melchizedekian king-priest throne of grace. Notice, it's not just to just come to grace, it's to come to the throne of grace because there's a king sitting on that throne. He's not just a high priest, he's a kingly high priest because he's of the Melchizedekian order. King of righteousness, king of peace, and he's the high priest. So we must come boldly to this Melchizedekian king-priest throne of grace to find help when facing this intense persecution, which, which is causing us to reconsider our walk and, and causing us to want to turn back. And we need to realize he will have no pleasure with us if, if we turn back. The only way for us is the way forward. And, and we need to understand that the, who's going to help us go forward is this high priest. And then the final theme is that we consider one another. We should provoke one another to love and good works and away from apostasy, away from bitterness and away from sexual impurity. We must not forsake the assembly. We need to care for each other. Persecution is going to intensify as we approach the end and therefore we need to really value fellowship that we have with each other and the exhortation opportunity we have to give to each other and we have to be ready to resist unto blood. And we're going to need each other to get through this. God is going to discipline his children. He disciplines all his children. But it's going. We, the prophecies show us that this discipline is going to be severe. There's a lot of hypocrisy in God's, among God's people. There's a lot of half-heartedness among God's people. There's, there's evil in God's covenant community, as, as it was in Habakkuk's day. And Habakkuk complained and said, God, why do I see all of this and you're not doing anything? And God said, no, no, I, I am doing something. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And they are absolutely going to shatter my covenant community. But don't worry. In the face of that shattering, the, the just shall live by faith. So it's going to be severe. But don't worry, because in the face of death, the just shall live eternally by faith. So let's help each other run the race that's set before us with endurance. Why? Because if we turn back, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's a consuming fire. He's a destroying fire. Be sure to keep loving one another. Be pure in marriage. Honor your elders. So Hebrews, we saw it's all about faith. We see that he's just talking over and over about faith. Then he stops, doesn't talk about faith at all. And then he resumes the discussion on faith. 36 times he uses this, this term, either faith or faithfulness. Three times he talks about believed or faith, these other Greek words. Four times, he, he talks, uh, I need to update this actually, this is uh, antipistus, uh, uh, un unbelief or unbelieving, and zero times in chapters 8 and 9, he speaks about uh, faith. He doesn't talk about it in, in chapters 8 and 9, and that's because he's telling us about the high priest whom we are to believe in. And then finally on the, the infographic here, uh, I just have uh, at the end, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
And so others may be falling down. And, and, and in Paul's time, there were Hebrews that had already turned away. We have to continue. And we have to help each other uh, continue. Let us, Hebrews 4.1, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us the gospel was preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So this is the key for us, what Paul is trying to tell us, is this race that we're running, it must be mixed with faith. That if we don't have faith, we're not going to be successful. So that's a summary uh, of the book. And uh, what we'll do now is uh, let's talk. And let's, uh, hopefully you got a lot out of this, uh, this lesson or this, this study of the book of Hebrews. I know I certainly did. I have a much deeper appreciation for the scripture than I did before. I thought I understood it before, but just going through it again together uh, over the last few months has deepened my appreciation for it, hopefully yours as well. And uh, what we'd like to do now, both Pastor Murray and I, is uh, just open this up to you, have you uh, ask us questions, and uh, let's just talk about this book as we wrap up. Uh, so let me just uh, get Pastor Murray on the, on the line here. Brother Murray, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Great. Yes, can hear you very well. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this evening. Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, been a good journey down this book of Hebrews. It really has. It's uh, it's quite something, isn't it? Uh, I just got so much more out of it uh, studying. I know we had studied it locally in Burlington, but I just got so much more out of it uh, this time around. Absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, Pastor Murray, there was a question uh, from JD last time, last week, um, and I, it's something that I was considering, but I was on the plane, and I didn't have enough time to dive into it. Uh, when um, Paul says, you know, he's the pioneer, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, the question was, is this relating to uh, Revelation, as we've been trying to tie Hebrews and Revelation together, where Christ is repeatedly referred to as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And so I think you took that away, wondering if you could maybe comment on that first. Sure, absolutely. And I believe it absolutely does connect uh, directly to uh, the comments in Revelation about him being the Alpha and the, and the Omega. But in the context of Hebrews, I think it goes much, much deeper. Um, it's interesting when you uh, dig into the Greek words for author and finisher. The Greek word for author is the word archegos, and it means uh, one that takes the lead and thus affords an example, a predecessor, or a pioneer. And when we consider what that, we consider that, uh, that definition, we think of uh, verses in Revelation like uh, Jesus Christ who was slain from the foundation of the world, we consider one of the first prophecies back in Genesis chapter 3, where um, he talks about him bruising, him having his uh, heel bruised, and he will crush the head of the adversary. Then the word finisher uh, is the word teleotest, which is a, you'll recognize the root word teleos. Yes. And that means one, one who has in his own person raised faith to its perfection, and so set before us the highest example of faith. Wow. Um, so when we consider both of these concepts as the Alpha and the Omega, the one who pi has pioneered the example of faith and the one who has now matured, and uh, matured is probably the wrong word, but has, has been raised in faith to, and has taken faith to its perfection, what we see here is we've, we have a, a, the perfect example of faith. You've talked in, your, in the recap of the um, uh, 
he's the superior apostle, he's the superior priest, and we need to consider each other. We take all of this, that he is the superior example, but you walk through the examples in Hebrews 11, of all those that died in the faith. Well, even in midst in the light of all of those who died in the faith, he is the superior example of faith. Mm. Um, and then we consider phrases, uh, biblical phrases like faith in Christ. Is it faith in Christ or is it the faith of Christ? And I think that really calls into, into light that both are accurate. We need faith in Christ, but we also need the faith of Christ because he has perfected that faith. And uh, when we consider that, and we consider that in context of the rest of the letter, even if you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, um, so we'll read that verse in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and then in this context of him being this example, this is following on the, the tale of all of those uh, uh, great cloud of witnesses that we read about in chapter 11. He continues in verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is teleos, that is complete, mm -hmm. perfect mm -hmm. faith. Um, so when we consider that, um, um, the author and the finisher of our faith, it really, um, in light of going through this book of Hebrews, is really a shout out to, A, to those who are in the faith, to buckle down and get serious, and also those who haven't made that commitment to let, it's about time to make that commitment. Um, you've, we've, you've even got those examples here in Scripture, and it's time to make that commitment. And just a, a word to those who may be on the study, that uh, who may be remote, um, it's the beauty of technology that we're experiencing now that um, if anyone is interested in baptism, uh, it's uh, qu quite easy to handle remotely. Uh, we're actually going through three different uh, cases of baptismal counseling as we speak because of these studies. So certainly reach out to uh, yourself or myself we can we can begin that process for sure and what's uh can i just go murray.palmatier at cgicanada.org to reach you yeah yep. so so yeah so again if you are thinking you know what i really do need to get serious in my walk with god and uh, perhaps you're not baptized but you'd like to consider it and be counseled for baptism uh, reach out to us and, and murray.palmatier you see the spelling of his name there murray.palmatier at cgicanada.org and uh, on that study, so very helpful, thanks very much for that. Um, one of the things that I was looking at, uh, Murray, was in Hebrews 6 and verse 20. Really, he's introducing the Melchizedekian order, the Melchizedekian high priest. And he says, where the forerunner is for us entered. So he's the author, he's the forerunner. He, he, he goes first, and he's made, he's made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So... This priesthood is not through the line of Levi. It's through an oath, and it's, etern it's an eternal priesthood. We also are going to be king priests. So we're not going to be Levitical king priests. We're going to be Melchizedekian king priests. And so Christ is the forerunner for that. And then in uh, Hebrews 6.1, when he was introducing this, he says to the um, Hebrews, to leave the principles of the doctrine, the first, the foundation of the doctrine of Christ, and let us go on unto Teleotus. So the very perfection, the very end point. So he's the forerunner. We're to follow him. And uh, John, when John saw him, and he says, I'm, I'm the first and the last, and I have the keys of the grave and of, of, of hell and of the grave of death, uh, so that we, have, we can have this confidence. As you said, he's the greatest example of, of the just shall live by faith. Absolutely.
That's absolutely. great. That's great. So agree. I, I did see, uh, Murray, just a couple of questions here on Facebook. I don't know if you see any on the chat. But on There's face one on the chat. Okay. But you go ahead first. All right. So um, Blake Silverstein asks, how do we encourage our youth? So that's a great question because it's not just the Church of God, but Christian churches worldwide uh, are often suffering from the fact that one generation gets it but the next generation doesn't necessarily get it. And so how do we encourage the youth? And I know you've been doing one, some work with them. Yeah, one, one way that we can encourage um, comes to mind is Paul's admonition in Titus for the older brethren to to spend time and take the, the young people under their wing. Uh, see if I can pull up. I believe it's in Titus 2. Um, and that is one way for, for us to... Uh, in Titus 2, um, there's an admonition that the, the, in verse 2, that the aged men be sober, brave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. And the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. And again, in both cases, uh, exactly following the admonition to the Hebrews about, about uh, being serious about our holiness. Um, and then dropping down to uh, verse 4. Uh, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, and he continues there. So, uh, our a our examples uh, yeah. where we are are examples of striving for holiness, and then b in line with that, um, spending time with them, um, um, encouraging them uh, to to take up their walk with Christ, uh, including them in in uh, uh, studies in the congregations. Uh, um, yes. And hey, spending time with them, and then as you said, you know, uh, when they when they stumble, um, help them through it, call it out, and make sure they understand they're stumbling. But but uh, uh, walk patiently with them through it because having been there before. Yeah, very good. And I do think that the youth are not stupid. They're looking at this world, and they're seeing just how out of control it is, and, and they're looking at their friends and and seeing that their friends are leading lives that are disorderly. And I think they do want more. And so to be able to spend time with them in the Word of God and make it relevant to them, it, it's, it can't be just so highfalutin and conceptual. It doesn't, it doesn't touch their real life. Uh, and I think you've done a great job uh, with the Infuse. You said you had a question on, on the chat? Sure, yeah. Just before I go to that, the, the one other item about the youth that would be, would be important is uh, don't be uh, examples of hypocrisy. You, you uh, mentioned yes. that there's... You, you mentioned that they're, they're smart. Um, yes, they, they, also, they also see hypocrisy. So. Absolutely, they do. Yeah, and I think in a family, you know, if you go to services and you're buttoned down and suit and nice clothes and, and then you come home and you live, you're living a double life, they will absolutely, absolutely see that. Uh, go ahead, Maria. Yeah, the question comes from Ray. Uh, it's, it's more general in nature. Uh, Ray's comment uh, to you was, uh, the more we study, the more complex our obligations seem to become can we really be successful uh sorry say that again Murray. Uh, the more we study the more complex our obligations seem to become uh -huh. can we can we really be successful okay so uh, my first thought is of course we can be successful that's really uh that's really what this is all about but i think fundamentally um when we get right down to the root it's about loving god with all of our heart soul and mind and loving each other as ourselves and and all these other instructions are really helping us to do that and so that's to me like that it's like at, at the surface level it might seem kind of complicated 
But when we bring it down to the root, it's very simple. Love God with our, our heart, soul, and mind, and love each other as ourselves. Uh, your thoughts, Maria? Yeah, and in light of, of those two needs, um, especially in, in this format here where uh, many of our listeners and, and watchers are remote, um, it is important to, um, in this, in our lives of remoteness, which I know several on this, this study are, that we find ways to connect with brethren. We find ways mm -hmm. to be, to be, uh, to love each other means that we need to be part of each other. Uh, right. So we need to be in each other's lives. Yeah, and I think what you just covered in chapter 13, that sometimes there's a bit of a sacrifice to be part of a congregation or to be part of each other, but it's, it's something that, that is, will be well worth the effort. It's very true, and I think because of that sacrifice, many times brethren will just move on. It's like they were in, part of a, in a congregation for a while, something happened that they didn't like, they moved to another congregation. Then what happens is they take themselves with them, and then something else emerges because there's a problem really in them that they're projecting onto others and they just keep floating from congregation and I've seen some brethren as well where they don't land in any congregation they're just floaters they don't commit to anybody I think God really wants to put us in the body have us commit to each other learn about each other learn to love each other learn to work together and and this then as we are shaped in this way he can actually then place us in the bigger body and you're absolutely right as well about the technology that even if we're remote we can now be in fellowship, and I know you're doing quite a bit behind the scenes with remote brethren and, and fellowshipping and counseling with them. The, um, in light of, of uh, what you had just mentioned, and actually it slipped my mind what you said, so I've lost my train of thought, because another question came across here. So why not I go to this other question here? Sure, if I sure. regain my train, I'll, I'll go back to it. Uh, from JD, uh, the Greek translation of I will never leave you nor forsake you has five negatives. The English is something like, quote, I will not not leave you. I will never, no, never forsake you. And, sir. Sorry, Murray, you just broke up there at the end. I heard the translation into English, but then you broke up after that. It's, uh, the, the final comment was, what a faithful God we serve. Amen. Amen. So that's a comment, or is it a question? That, is there yeah, a... That, that was just a comment. Yeah, yeah we have yeah, another yeah, comment yeah. from... But, uh... but absolutely, let's underline that. What a faithful God we mm -hmm. serve. And, and that's also in the context of Hebrews. God is faithful to the Hebrews. He owes nothing to mankind. And I think we need to be really, really clear about this. The covenant is with the Hebrews. And we are all grafted into this Hebraic communion. Absolutely, yep. And that's where we can have a couple, strong confidence as well that God will not go back on his uh, on his covenant. Sorry, Mary. I know I was just there's just another comment. There's no no more questions yet. But uh, from Marion, uh, sister with love, uh, Maryland, we need to be in touch with each other so we can support each other. Absolutely. And I'm seeing something similar to that here as well. And I'm sorry uh, for those of you who are on Facebook. If you uh, have posted a question and we don't get to it, maybe you need to repost it because I think because it's live, I'm not seeing all the comments. It's, it's telling me there are more comments than I can actually see. But I see uh, Trudy Cranford just saying how much she loves the studies. Charles Robert uh, thanking us for the studies and uh, just saying it's a real blessing. So thank you, Trudy and uh, Charles. And um, also, uh, Blake Silverstein, you were asking for the... Um, the infographic, if you just email me at adrian.davis at cgicanada.org, 
then I'll send that to you. And anybody else, if you'd like the infographic, it's uh, adrian.davis at cgicanada.org, and I'll send that out to you. Um, Alicia Monroe Prime, hi there, Alicia. She, hopefully it's Alicia, could be Alicia, I think it's Alicia. Um, have you been persecuted for your faith? Uh, so I can answer that, uh, Marie, and say that uh, I have not faced persecution for my faith, not yet. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for it. I know it's coming. Uh, anything that I've faced has been trivial. Uh, so no, I have not yet. Uh, and in fact, what I'll say, and I just want to mention this as well. Um, next week, we're going to, we have one week uh, before really the feast season. Uh, next week, we're going to study the book of Jude uh, on recommendation. And it's a great, I just did a, a read of it. It's going to be a great study next week. Uh, we, we, we look at Revelation of what's coming. We look at Hebrews, how to conduct ourselves to be successful against this persecution that's coming from the outside. And then Jude looks at persecution really through infiltration. What happens when the persecution is coming from the inside? And I would say I, I have faced some internal uh, persecution, uh, but that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, but I, I, I certainly cannot in any way say that uh, I have been persecuted for my faith in any substantive way. What about you, Murray? Yeah, I can't say I have either. I've grown up in the faith, and, and uh, we've all faced trials, but I certainly couldn't chalk any of them up to persecution yet, that's for sure. And again, uh, again uh, hello up there to Alicia. Thanks for that question. Yes. And then um, I'm just going to write down, somebody says, could I write the email down? So I'm just going to do that. Um, while you do, uh, yes. something else uh, came to mind while you were studying, you were giving the study. You mentioned uh, in chapter 1 of Hebrews 13 about the uh, let brotherly love continue. You mentioned the, uh, that the verb is an imperative. Uh, just, uh, just a few comments on that. Um, the, uh, when, when you are, it, it, the, the resource of Strong's Concordance becomes a very valuable tool in, in our studies. And the, what you were referring to is the, the tense or the mood uh, in the, uh, for the Greek verbs. When you open Strong's and study and you pull up the, the verbs, uh, it's important when they are verbs not to just look at the, the meaning of the specific Greek verb, but there's a second number attached to the back, which if you pop that open, will reveal the mood or the tense. And uh, it is quite revealing and very impactful when you understand the various, the various uh, 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 tenses or moods. Real high level. Uh, there's a, a factual tense, there's a command tense, there's a possibility or hopeful tense, and then there's a doubtful tense. And I'm sure there's more, but uh, those are the four main ones. Yeah, uh, so that's the, second, that's the second number at the back of the, the Strong's. Really good. Um, somebody's telling me that I've got a typo in my infographic. I'll fix that. Willow Love, she's, so Willow, we've given you the email there that you can uh, send to. And uh, Anthony Clement says hello. And again, if you did post a question and, and we didn't answer it, it's, uh, it's outside of my feed now. And I was uh, just typing too quickly, so I have to uh, correct my uh, my typo here. Okay, let me do that. Uh, anything else, Marie, on the chat? Uh, nothing on the chat so far. Uh, that's uh, we're up to date on the chat. Okay, let me just. Uh, I can't stand uh, misspelling things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, any other thoughts, uh, Marie? Um, uh, just that it's a, it's, a, it's a nice transition from uh, Revelation into Hebrews, um, and I'm really looking forward to Jude. Uh, I completely agree the, with the, uh, the notion about uh, persecution from the inside, um, and 
uh, really that dovetails back, and I'm sure you'll you'll probably touch on this, dovetails back to some of your teachings on Matthew 24 and Luke 21 about betrayal and that, and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, really looking forward to that as well. And again, thanks for all your hard work with this. It's definitely been a blessing to uh, many, many. And yours as well, and your, all your support. It's, uh, God has really blessed us. For those of you uh, who are not local to us, uh, Murray and I pastor two congregations. We sometimes joke and say three, uh, because we have Burlington, we have Ottawa, and then we have this virtual community. And uh, God has just blessed us with each other. And uh, we complement each other, we support each other, uh, and we're stronger together. And I think this is really how God intends for this plurality of eldership to work, where there's no one person. It's really God is the, Jesus Christ is the over-shepherd. We are under-shepherds. And, and the plurality makes sure that nobody is focusing on any particular man. They're focusing on Jesus Christ, and we're just helping to, you know, we each have strengths, we each have weaknesses, but together we're, we kind of offset each other's weaknesses and optimize each other's uh, strengths. Absolutely. So, uh, so here's another question for you uh, from Blake Silverstein. As an elder, what behavior do you like to see in those you minister to? Actually, I did see this question earlier, Blake, so thanks for reposting that. So Murray, uh, I'll think about this as well. As, as elders, what behaviors do we like to see in those we minister to? Um, well, obviously, uh, we can go to scriptures and, and consider the various lists that Christ gives us through the various writers, First uh, uh, Peter, Second Peter, Galatians 5, those sorts of things. But um, um, I think patience, I think um, um, humility, um, a, a seek first to understand and to be understood uh, mentality, um, a, a, a mutual respect for everyone, and a, and a if things happen where, where we run into difficulties, uh, a, a mindset where I'm going to make the assumption that that every my brethren have that, that what's uh, my best interest at heart, and that there's simply a misunderstanding. Uh, simple things like simple things like this, and obviously a passion for God's word is equally and most important. Yeah, I think uh, I totally agree. I think Third uh, John four comes to mind, where John says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth," because when we have that passion for God's word, everything else we're going to truly love one another going to truly love God, we're going to truly be passionate about the things God asks us to do when we walk in truth. And so John says here, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I think so we, we both have that sense that when people uphold God's word, and, and you know, it's a, it's a pleasure when you preach God's word, and people are hungry for it, they really want mm -hmm. it, and then they order their lives accordingly. That's like, wow, you know, when, when, when we're dead and gone, uh, to think that we have impacted the lives of human beings in such a way that they are going on to eternal life. This, Absolutely. Is, this is just profound. A comment here from Denise. She says, uh, my silence, I think, speaks to how, how mind-blowing and amazing the message is in God's Word. Indeed. Amen. And Rebecca Cottingame here says, yes, such a blessing and, and thank you. So uh, this is great. So um, we are going to do Isaiah. Um, the way this is going to work, uh, next week we will do Jude. And then unfortunately, I have to say unfortunately, because I really love these studies, uh, but for the month of September, 
we are not going to have any studies. There's just between the feast days and travel. It's just there's there's no Wednesday that I can that, that I can slip in. I think there was one where it was maybe atonement, but I felt like maybe I'd be the only one here and everybody would be out breaking their fast. So, uh, so when we we will resume uh, study after the feast in October. So study next week, and then in October we're going to begin the book of Isaiah, and I feel inspired to do second Isaiah. So instead of going through the whole book of Isaiah, we're going to pick it up. You know, Isaiah has 66 books, or 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Old Testament is made up of 39 books, and the New Testament, 27. First Isaiah is 39 chapters, and second Isaiah is 27 chapters. So second Isaiah really picks up in terms of the, the new covenant and enabling the new covenant and it will really support everything that we have been studying in Luke, in Acts, in uh, Revelation, in, in Philippians, in Hebrews, in Jude. Uh, so in the beginning of October, God willing, we'll do second Isaiah. We'll still be referring back to first Isaiah, but our focus, line by line focus, is going to be in second Isaiah, God willing. So let me just check once again with, uh, oh, sorry, question here by Alicia. Do you baptize in living water? Or baptismal pools so do you go to like a lake uh, and baptize or will you use pools to do baptisms and maybe you can comment on the significance uh, sure um, I think well I've done both um, I have done in, in living water once or twice before and it was certainly um, emotionally it was it was a uh, it was interesting for me having never done it before to to be in living water uh, I think uh, what is most important is being baptized and that the water itself um, is, is because it's symbolic doesn't matter. It's, it's the fact that it's full immersion that is most important in an understanding of sin and repentance and uh, the Holy Spirit and growth in Christ and his covenant and all those sorts of things that we talk about. Um, but um, if, if there is living water close by and it's it's uh, um, not too cold and, and won't, uh, uh, that that's that's a fascinating way to do it and I have done it once or twice and it certainly was a uh, added to the the overall uh, atmosphere of the day for sure. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, Murray, again, thanks for all that you do and I know you're doing a lot of uh, baptismal counseling behind the scenes and fellowshipping with remote brethren and uh, that's just wonderful. And again, brethren or, or anybody out there. If you are looking for baptismal counseling, you're considering that, uh, please reach out to Pastor Murray at murray.palmatier at cgicanada.org. If you'd like a copy of the infographic, uh, please reach out to me at adrian.davis at cgicanada.org. So this ends our, it's almost like it's hard for me to say goodbye to the book of Hebrews, but I guess we won't really be saying goodbye because I'm sure we'll be referring and cross-referencing it as we go forward with our future studies. Uh, thanks so much, and I just really have to thank uh, the, the brethren and the people out there who follow us every week faithfully uh, and, and have this real zeal and interest in the Word of God. I, I just, Maria, I, I think you would agree, it's just so encouraging to uh, those of us who teach to have students who are so eager to learn. And so we really thank Absolutely. you. And uh, may yep. God bless you, and may God bless us as we continue and uh, just set our minds to run this race that is set before us with endurance. Jesus Christ, what a faithful God we serve. He's our high priest. He's our king, our future husband. Let's praise him. God bless. Thanks, Pastor Murray. And thank you.
Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.